We are starting the new year together, talking about navigating the new year and just revisiting some of those fundamentals, some of those things that God's given us to help navigate uh, a brand new year. And I wanted to, to begin this morning by, by seeing if you recognize this guy. Some of you no doubt do, right? If you're a football, college football fans, uh, you've probably seen lots of uh, this guy. Uh, he goes by the name of Mayhem in the commercials, right? Highly successful ad campaign for the uh, Allstate uh, Insurance Company. And for, for years now, uh, Mayhem has been uh, wreaking havoc, right? There's things that have been crashing and catching on fire and blowing up and all these things. And, and a unique twist. Uh, the, the advertisers decided at the first of this year that Mayhem was going to have a resolution. So no longer was he going to be Mayhem. He was now going to be about safety. And so he became a road flare to warn of an accident, a lightning rod to protect a house. Even was a little uh, rubber ball hanging down from uh, uh, the ceiling in the garage so you'd know exactly how far to pull your car in. Well, that lasted for all of about eight days until uh, Monday when the uh, college football playoff national championship games were uh, coming on. Uh, he was laying in there and suddenly realized that he was going to keep his resolutions as long as everybody else did. And then he realized you couldn't even keep them two weeks. <laughs> two weeks? And so he gets up and he's no longer the flare. He's no longer the lightning rod and mayhem ensues again. There's a crash. There's a lightning strike. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, resolutions, right? Tis the season. Uh, the Wharton School tells us that um, people are more likely to tackle their goals immediately following some salient temporal landmarks, such as the start of a new year. They call that the fresh start effect. Unfortunately, it doesn't last very long. Hashtags quickly begin trending on social media, hashtag resolution fail, almost uh, days, sometimes even hours into the new year. One person tweeted on January 1st, New Year's resolution, get back on a normal sleep schedule. Blown. Thanks, X-Files on Netflix. Hashtag resolution fail. Here's another. Got ready for the gym packed my gear, and went for a burger instead. <laughs> Hashtag resolution fail. Saw one more earlier this morning. I like this one. January 1st, installed new exercise app. January 2nd through the 12th, app keeps reminding me to exercise. January 13th, deleted exercise app. <laughs> Hashtag resolution fail. Uh, according to the University of Scranton, millions of Americans admit to usually or sometimes making New Year's resolutions. Their research shows that most of us can stick it out for a few weeks, but fewer than half are still going at six months. Their research says about only 8% are ultimately successful. The truth is, in certain areas of all of our lives, change is ridiculously hard. It's ridiculously hard. Even after a heart attack, only 14% of patients make any lasting changes around exercise or eating. The average person makes the same New Year's resolution something like 10 separate times without success. In fact, many of us just get to the point we stop making resolutions, right? 
Because we say something like this, and I've heard folks say it. I've heard folks say it just in the past few days. I don't make resolutions because resolutions don't work. Well, let me reframe that for just a moment. Maybe it's not that resolutions fail, but the resolver does. You say, oh, great, thanks, Jeff, <laughs> right? That, that's, that's really encouraging. I got up and got out in the cold this morning to hear that it's not resolutions that fail. It's the resolver. Thanks a lot. Well, stick with me, stick with me. Don't check out because I think when we come to that understanding, there's actually hope in that. There's actually hope in that. You see, one of the greatest gaps in all of our lives is the gap between knowing and doing. Between knowing what we want to do, what we want to become, what character quality we want to develop, and actually executing on that, actually having it come true. And, and that's not something that's just a, a 21st century thing. That's a, that's a human nature thing. You can see it throughout Scripture. James even wrote very specifically about it when it comes to uh, aligning our lives with God's design through His Word. Verse 22 of James 1, familiar words. We referenced some of them even last week. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That recognition that there is a gap. There's a gap between hearing and doing, between knowing and executing along the way. And yet it is in the doing that there is blessing. Jesus, uh, again, a scripture we looked at last week in a little more detail, said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It is the hearing, yes, but it is the doing. It is the executing. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we kind of do a little better than the national average when it comes to the resolutions? Well, God has given us kind of a surprising plan a surprising plan because it cuts against the grain of what most of us have instinctively tried to do. And the surprising plan that God has to help us to bridge this gap is authentic community. Authentic community is God's design to help bridge the gap between knowing and doing, uh, between knowledge and execution, between resolution and, and, and real transformation uh, along the way. See, God designed us. We were created intentionally by God to be dependent on God and interdependent with each other. Dependent upon God and interdependent with each other. That is God's purposeful design for each of our lives. And yet it becomes incredibly challenging along the way. I like the way one author put it. He said, he said the, the struggle with people in the church are sometimes we're like porcupines in a snowstorm. You know, we, we need to get close to each other to keep warm, but we keep pricking each other, right? And maybe that's been your experience too. There's something in you that knows. I know I need connection. 
I know I need community. I know God designed me this way, but yet sometimes it pricks. Sometimes relationships, community gets messy. Sometimes it feels like it's more work than it is payoff along the way. So what I want to do is maybe just encourage a little bit this morning. Encourage us to think about this way that God has designed us and to really seek out, to seek out this year as we navigate a new year, a new level of connectedness and community with others. Because what the Bible tells us is that we need each other. We need each other. And let me just give you five kind of big picture thoughts on areas where we need each other and then try to to bring it to a challenge. I need others to walk with me. God has designed me, he's designed you, that we need others to walk with us. The author of Hebrews said, not neglecting to meet together. Don't miss out on connectedness, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I need others who are going to walk with me, who will encourage me, who will strengthen me, who will direct me along the way. God's answer to loneliness is community. Community is God's answer to loneliness. And you can be lonely in a crowd, right? We've all experienced that. We're not talking about just getting a crowd. We're talking about get connected. Get connected relationally to other people. Close enough that you can begin to understand one another's life. You can begin to encourage one another along the way. God created you with a longing for belonging. And I know some are more sociable than others. I'm not not even talking about kind of your social skills. I'm just that that need to have others who walk with me. I love this Zambian proverb I stumbled across years ago. When you run alone, you run fast. When you run with others, you run far. Some of us by our nature, we we just kind of say, I will do it myself. I can do it quicker, I can do it better, I can do it myself. But then we get to certain areas of our life and we realize I need others. You may for a while run fast when you run alone, but when you have others who come alongside, who walk with you, who run with you, they bring that encouragement to you, they bring different perspective to you, you can run far you can continue to persevere. I need others to walk with me. I also need others to work with me. God's design is so I need others to work with me. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. There is a reward. There is something that happens when we work with each other. Community is God's answer to not only loneliness, but it's God's answer to fatigue. To fatigue, because when, when you're working alone, sometimes you get weary. Sometimes you get worn out along the way. God has given us this incredible gift to work together, the body of Christ. 
Paul talks about it all the time. It's one of his favorite word pictures if you read his letters in the New Testament. The body of Christ. And what does he say about the body of Christ? Not everybody looks the same. Not everybody functions the same. Not everybody has the same giftedness or talent or ability or aptitude. We need each other. Just like there is this wide variety of of parts in the body, we need one another. If everybody was the same, he uses that one ludicrous example. He says, if everybody was the same, it'd be like this giant, like six foot eyeball, right? I mean, pretty gross, right? We need this wide variety. We need all to be working. We need to be working together. There is a myth, and it's kind of perpetrated, particularly in our American culture, uh, of, of the, the, you know, I do it myself. Uh, the lone wolf or, uh, you know, the, 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 the strong person who, who does it all on their own. The lone ranger, right? But then I realized years ago, even the lone ranger had Tonto, right? Batman had Robin. <laughs> even those mythical figures had that community. Sometimes we, we spiritualize that and we, we, we hold up some individual as if, you know, well, they, they were so holy that they, they did it alone. Mother Teresa, great example. Mother Teresa, a lot of times people think of Mother Teresa just there by herself serving the poor and, and walking with those who were dying and doing all these things. Mother Teresa did not work alone. Mother Teresa built an army an army of people, and the work continues today because she did not work alone. She worked in community. She worked in connection. I need people to walk with me. I need people to work with me. But I also need people to watch out for me. I need people who will watch out for me. Let's continue in that Ecclesiastes 4 passage. For if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That there is something about having somebody with me, somebody to watch out for me, somebody to be able to to lift me up when I'm experiencing fatigue or failure or a fall along the way. I I need other people to come alongside me. I need others to watch out for me. Community is not only God's answer for loneliness and fatigue, but community is God's answer to defeat, to those things that discourage us, those things that defeat us, those things that can beat us up along the way. And when I think about this, I think about the world in which we live. We have many of us pay a monthly fee for a security system on our home, right? We have neighborhood watches that pay for folks to monitor our identity for identity theft. We have all of these people and all of these systems watching out for our stuff, right? But here's the question. Here's the question. Who's watching out for your soul? You got a lot of things watching out for your stuff. Who's watching out for your soul? And who are you watching out for? For? 
Who are you connected enough to that they can encourage? Who are you connected enough to that they can say, what are you thinking? Do you not see this pattern? Why? Because we all have blind spots, right? We all have things we miss. We all have areas where, where we just don't, don't kind of see things correctly. And we need other people watching out for us. We need to be connected enough. You don't need to be connected to this level to hundreds of folks, but you need to be connected to somebody. Somebody who can speak those words of life into you. Somebody that can speak a word of warning. Somebody that loves you enough to maybe occasionally speak a word of of correction along the way. Who is that person for you? Who is watching out for your soul? And who are you that person toward? Is there anybody that you are connected enough to that you can speak into their life? In that way, I need people who are going to walk with me. I need people who are going to work with me. I need people who love me enough to watch out for me. But the Bible also says, I need others to rejoice and weep with me. Those who will rejoice and weep with me. Very familiar passage tucked away in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, One person put it this way. It's one of those expressions I've just uh, remembered through the years, uh, that that a joy shared is doubled. A sorrow shared is halved. There is something in us when you are when you are excited about something when you are when you are overjoyed about something you want to share it right you you want to share it you want to get that word out there right you uh, you know I did see Jeff Collins out there just had a grandbaby right yeah right you know what his wife posted that all over the place, right? right? Why do we do that? Because we want to share a joy. It's part of our makeup. We want to share those things. Share, when we share our joys, those joys are doubled. When we share our sorrows, those sorrows are halved. That there is something about having people in our life who can help lift that load. People who can come alongside and, and they can't stop whatever has caused the, the brokenness in us, has caused the tears to flow, but they can share in it. They can share the weight. They can empathize and they can come alongside. To the Corinthians, Paul, again, drawing on that wonderful imagery of the Bible, Bible the body, excuse me. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There is that sense of that connectedness. That connectedness so that if one hurts, all hurt. If one is honored, all can rejoice. I need those. I mean, there's the inevitable ups and downs in life. There's the the highs and there's the lows. There's the celebrations and there's the crises. And I need people who will rejoice and weep with me along the way. First Thessalonians, one more example. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are 
doing. I want you to notice the phrases one another, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. Let me just put it very bluntly. You can't live the life God designed you for by yourself. You can't walk in obedience to God by yourself. You can't one another by yourself. You want to do a study one time, just put into the, your, uh, your uh, search thing. Maybe you've got a computer program around the Bible or, or just a concordance or something. Just look up one another. One another's in the New Testament. Time and time again, there is this series of one another commands. You and I can't live those out alone. We have to live those out in community. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Suffer. Rejoice. Rejoice. Weep. Honor. All of those things are done in community. The community is God's answer to despair. If we had to handle all that by ourselves, we might eventually cave under despair. But to have the body To have connectedness, to have community is God's answer to despair. Now, let me just give you one other thought or example from the Bible. And that is, when we think about authentic community, I need others to witness with me. I need others to witness with me. Sharing Christ, sharing the life of Christ was not a solo activity. In fact, is at, at its most foundational level, how we relate to one another is the first and sometimes the most powerful witness to Christ. John, the beloved disciple, put it this way, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the first levels of witnessing to a world about the reality and the power and the difference of Jesus Christ is the power of community, is how we relate to and how we love one another. And that's, I think, increasingly so in a world that is as fractured as our world is. In a world where politics and rhetoric is so polarized, where we get into Twitter wars, where there are competing websites, when we, we, we tend to put people in, in categories, victims and villains, so quickly, in a world that polarized, in a world that antagonistic, in a world where it seems increasingly civility is even disappearing, to have men and women who live together who relate together in a different kind of love. That is a powerful, powerful witness in and of itself to the power of Jesus Christ. That's the first level of witnessing together. But it goes even beyond that as we encourage one another in in striving for the gospel, as Paul wrote to the Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith 
of the gospel. Paul is reminding them this, this battle for the gospel, if you will, the striving for the gospel, this spiritual warfare is never to be done alone, but it is to be done in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But again, Jesus was such a great example of this. You remember in the Gospels when Jesus is getting ready to send out these folks to, to, to begin to, to, to spread this word? How does he send them out? You remember. He sends them out two by two. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now think about it. You could have covered a lot more ground if you sent them out individually. You could have gone in 72 different directions instead of just 36, right? Why? Because we need others to witness with us. We need their encouragement. We need to to draw on one another. There's something catalytic that happens as we, we relate to one another, as we, we come alongside in, in, in accountability and in structure and encouragement and hope and perspective, all of those things. I need others to witness to me. Community has been God's answer to so many things. It's, all, it's his answer to fear. One of the things that God gives us when we deal with fears, including our fears of of how people are going to respond or how to share Christ, all those things, is he gives us community. He gives us connectedness to other people. See, our faith at its core, our faith at its core was designed to be highly, highly personal, but it was never designed to be private. Now, I, I want you to camp on that with me for just a moment. Our faith was designed to be very, very personal. It is a personal faith. No one can have your faith for you, right? All of us have to come to Christ individually. It is a personal faith, but it was never, ever, 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 ever designed to be private. It was always designed to be shared. It was designed to be shared with other believers in connectedness, in community, as we encourage one another, build one another up, hold one another lovingly accountable, speak the truth to one another in love. All of those things, we are to to help one another grow in our faith. It is to be shared within the body of Christ, but it is to be shared outside of the body of Christ, that those who don't know Maybe they've never heard or maybe no one's ever kind of lived it out before them and shared it in an understandable way. Maybe they have caricatures or whatever it may be, but we are to share. So it's not something we ever are designed personal highly, but not private. It is to be lived out in connectedness to others. It is to be shared freely as this life-giving message to others. And I do that best when I am in community. Authentic community helps bridge the gap between knowing and doing, between information and application, between resolution and execution. God's gift to us is this incredible, incredible gift of community. Dr. Henry Cloud was working on a book. He was finishing up a book on, uh, on changings. And part of the premise was that 
change begins with a wake-up call. Admitting that what we're not what we're not doing is not working. And in the context of that, he bumped into a friend, a friend who had experienced some amazing changes in her life in the past few years. And he told her he was writing the book and, and kind of the basic premise. And here was her response. What you're saying is absolutely right. But once I realized that what I was doing was just not working, I found myself in a really dark place. It was hard to admit that I couldn't do it. And when I finally did, it was really dark for a while. See, that's what happens to us, right? Maybe there's an area we've been trying to change. We tried to obey. We've tried to, to be faithful. We've, we've tried to have this character molded in our life, and, and we can, and we can, and we keep trying. We buy another book. We go to another study. We, we, we sign up for another program, whatever. But it just, it's not happening. It's not happening. And when we get to that point, it feels a little helpless and hopeless. Let me go on. Tell me more, Henry prompted her. Because even though I knew, she said, that what I had been doing was not working, I didn't know what to do differently or how to do it. And that feeling is one of total helplessness. I felt hopeless. And he looked at her and he said, yeah, but here you are. I mean, you got through it. Your life is different now. How did you do it? What did you do? She thought for a moment because you don't really analyze these things. And she thought and said, I ask for help. I ask for help. I ask God to help me. And then I reached out to a few people. And that's when it began. People and answers began to show up. Cloud goes on to say that self-help is an oxymoron. It sells a lot of diet books, a lot of exercise equipment on TV, a lot of merchandise. But in the end, self-help is an oxymoron. He says, physics teaches us that a closed system runs down over time. It runs out of energy. It hits the limit of its own know-how. Einstein said it best, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I'm not trying to say that we cannot do things for ourselves or that we cannot make changes. Self-improvement, growth, and maturing are important and valid aspects of a successful life. The last thing we want to do is to be totally unable to make changes or do things for ourselves. But there are times when we truly can't do something for ourselves. If a car is out of gas, it can't self-gas, right? It must get gas from outside itself. It does not have extra gas on the inside. In order for a plant to grow, it needs minerals, air, water, and sunlight. It needs to be fertilized and fed from outside itself. It cannot self-help its way into maturity. If your body is to grow new cells and capacities, it needs vitamins and minerals, fuel, and the like in order to do its self-improvement. It has to take in from the outside what it does not possess already 
It can't just grow it. At times, we need help. Hear me, because this, this cuts the cost, the grain of how some of us were brought up. But a core message, a heart message of the Bible is that we need help from two power sources larger than just ourselves. We need help from God and from his provision of other people. The recovery movement has helped countless people experience life transformation when they were stuck. But for many years, there were people in the church that resisted it. And I'm not sure all the reasons. But the basic premises that make a good recovery program work is it starts off by admitting our powerlessness. And maybe that's what we don't like. But isn't that what the Scripture says? Apart from Him, I can do nothing. And the recovery movement also recognizes we need community. We need other people who will be strong when we're not, who will be models and mentors for us along the way, people who will come alongside us and help bring into our life what we don't currently kind of have in and of ourselves. And that's the heart of what the Bible says about transformation. I need a power beyond myself. I need the power of God, and I need the conduit that he often delivers that through, the body of Christ. When God graciously begins to move in us, he brings to bear things we don't have in and of ourselves. He brings a strength to do what we cannot do on our own. He brings a truth to guide us along the way. That's why we talked last week about consulting the owner's manual. And then he brings alongside other people who become conduits of his strength and his help in our life. I read a story years ago. I've shared it with some of you. It's probably not politically correct language today's world, but the truth is still powerful. It's a man who was going to... to visit and sought to minister in a, uh, an asylum, an institution for the criminally insane. And he kind of went and he had expectations of, of you know, what this place was going to look like and the heavy guard is all this stuff. And, and he was somewhat shocked because when he got there, there, you know, were obviously locks and walls and those sort of thing, but not nearly the number of armed guards that he expected. And he had a chance to have a conversation with one of the, the leaders and said, I, you know, I'm kind of shocked by this. Aren't you concerned that, you know, they outnumber you so much, aren't you concerned that they're going to like get together and kind of overrun you? The guy I was talking to kind of looked at him and he smiled. He said, no. That's not an issue because lunatics never unite. Now, that's probably not politically correct language, but it's a pretty powerful truth. To not connect, to not unite is lunacy. 
locusts do it, (laughs) and you know they're there together, right? Christians very often don't. Here's my challenge to you. You can keep doing exactly what you're doing in the same way. And in those areas in your life where you haven't seen the change and transformation that you want, you're going to get the same results. I'm going to get the same results. Sometimes it's not about just trying harder. But, but in those areas in your life, if you'll come to a point and say, God, I need help. I need the power that only you can provide. I need your truth to guide me. God, I need the power of your body. I need other people in my life. And other people need you to be that person in their life. And so here's the challenge as we think about navigating a new year. Don't navigate it alone. Don't navigate it alone. Wherever you're at now, my challenge to you is take the next step into community. And on the most basic level for us here in our, our structure as adults, the, 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 the basic first step, the easiest first step to begin to get connected to community is not to just stay in rows. That's why we talk about don't just stay in rows, but also get in circles. We want to challenge you. Get connected to an adult Bible fellowship. That's the easiest, simplest first step toward community. You can step out in the lobby right after this service, find out more information about the ABF classes that we offer. It's an easy first step. For students, it's 180. For children, it's, it's, it's uh, uptown. For preschoolers, it's first world. All of those functioning on a Sunday morning, the easiest first step toward connectedness and toward community. There are other steps. There are other levels for sure, but that's the easiest first step. And if you're not at that first step, my challenge to you today is Take a chance. Take a chance. And you might, like a porcupine, get pricked every now and then. That's life with real people in the real world, right? But stay in there. Stay in there. And watch what God may do. For some of you, that connecting to community, particularly in a certain area of your life, might look even a little deeper. It might mean that you invite some people to speak into your life. You give some people some access to your life that you really haven't before. You get a little smaller and you get a little more open. For some of you, it may even be to harness the power of community is to get with a counselor. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of smarts, right? Say, I'm going I'm to put myself in a structure where I can receive something from the outside that will help develop what's on the inside. And maybe for some of you this year, part of navigating the new year is getting into a structured environment where you can receive from the outside what isn't yet fully developed on the inside. 
And so I, I want to just kind of close this morning just praying for you. And then I'm just going to ask you to take a few moments and sit before the Lord. And just to begin to think, what, Lord, does authentic community look like for me as I navigate a brand new year? Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Oh, Father. Father, I just honestly, a lot of this truth, it just cuts across the grain of how some of us were raised and how some of us are wired. And Father, we, we just want to do it ourselves. We don't like saying, I need help. But Father, that's how you designed us. You designed us to be dependent upon you and interdependent with each other. <laughs> it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of intelligence. Father, would you help us to get a little smarter and become a little more connected? And Father, I know that's going to look very, very different for everybody in this room. So would you, as only you can do, by the power of your Spirit, would you lead us to the next step? The next step in connecting to you and connecting to community. And as you just now spend just a couple moments quietly before the Lord, I want to just direct your attention to the box on the note-taking guide that invites you to make this personal.